It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Change makers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. At age three, today's guest, Ed Hagem, was kidnapped by his father, driven cross-country, and told his mother was dead. Ed was bounced from foster homes to orphanages, living a daily struggle to survive. He joins us today to provide insight into what he learned from some of his life's defining moments. Ed is chairman of High Vista Strategies and has served as a senior executive at firms such as E.F. Hutton, Lehman Brothers, and other financial institutions. He is the author of the book, On the Road Less Traveled, An Unlikely Journey from the Orphanage to the Boardroom. Welcome, Ed. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So, Ed, you have such such an inspiring story because it really is a wonderful example of what each of us has the power to overcome. So let's start off by talking a little bit about what you experienced as a child and what led up to your father kidnapping you. Well, Dad and and I have learned a lot about people from writing this book, but my father basically came as a baby in 1900 and over 18 or 20 years became very, very successful. And uh, by 1929 had substantial fortune. In fact, a picture of the book shows him next to his own airplane. He had buildings in Manhattan and so forth. In 29-33, he lost everything, everything, and including his mother died, which was a, a big, a, an enormous hit to him because he was very close to his mother. And as he said, in 33, he decided to either commit suicide or drive across country. And luckily, I, uh, uh, for me, my lucky for me, he decided to drive across country. On the way across country, he stopped at a cousin's house. He was unwelcomed. Uh, cousin had, had five children. Nobody wanted anybody to visit. Uh, but anyway, during a two-week period, he fell in love with the fifth of the six, the six children. And she was a young 18-year-old daughter. And shockingly, they got married. He went off to California. And, uh, but he was a very difficult character. And having lost all of his money, really didn't ever recover from that. Uh, after three years of marriage, uh, and I guess the only happiness they had was my birth in 1936, and my mother, being a very young woman, had very difficult had a difficult time dealing with my father's unusual habits. And by 1939, she had it, and she got decided to get divorced, got custody of me, and took me from Los Angeles back to her family in St. Louis, where she wasn't terribly welcome. My father got visiting rights and five dollars a week in alimony and child support. On the first Sunday, he visited me driving 1,800 miles from Los Angeles to St. Louis. He found me so-called unkept and decided instead of taking me to a movie or to the park, he got back on Highway 66, which is on the cover of our book, and drove me back to Los Angeles, told me that I'd never see my mother again. A few weeks later, I guess he told me my mother subsequently told me my mother died, called my mother and told her not to look for us. So he essentially kidnapped me. And that started a 15-year period of uh, we living in first in hotel rooms and motel rooms while he was at sea. He was a merchant marine. And then when the war started, uh, he had to go to sea full time, was commissioned 
as an officer in the Merchant Marines, I ended up in five foster homes during the period 1941 through 1946. I returned uh, uh, to my father. He came back on the East Coast. We flew across country. Uh, we spent a year together in the, the YMCA on 34th Street, where I learned in New York City, and then finally in a hotel room in Coney Island, where I went to school. He had great difficulty finding land-based uh, work, so he went back to sea, and I ended up in two orphanages. The first was uh, from, from age 11 to, to 14. When I aged out of that orphanage, my father totally disappeared, which is a, another long story. Uh, and I became a ward of the state and was put in the second orphanage in Yonkers, New York, where it was close to a very good high school. I worked, put my head down, worked pretty hard, and was able to get my ticket out of my situation by getting a, an NRTC scholarship. That's a thumbnail of a, of a, uh, a Nigeria trip that, you know, covered about 15 to 20 different locations. And uh, I guess, considering the foster home started with the one that was very difficult and abusive and so forth and ended with one which was very wonderful and warm and welcoming. So you mentioned that one of your foster care experiences was difficult and that you suffered abuse. And how did that impact you? And, and you said you had a, a good foster experience after that, but what about then when you were in the orphanages? What were those experiences like? All of these experiences required, required rites of passage. And, you know, they, they were never easy. I mean, I mean, just it's hard for anybody to understand that going from one schoolyard to the next or going from one orphanage to the next, you have to find your place. And it, 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 isn't, it is not easy, but once you do it, you gain a great capability, which is you're adaptable. You, you learn how, how to find your way through difficult circumstances, become very self-reliant. In fact, in my book and in my conversations with people, I believe that disadvantages has become advantages over a lifetime. If you look at my life, I and I remember reading something about you, Joan, seeking change. I mean, I changed so many times in my first 18 years. I not only, you know, got used to change, I actually sought change and embraced change. And look, and in my business life, I always asked, you know, what's next? Because I felt that, that was very important. But since I conquered change as a youngster, I was able to handle it through my entire life during good business experiences and some really bad ones when I one in particular one of Lehman Brothers, where I, I kind of did everything right for seven years, and it still turned out wrong. It's another thing I want to communicate to people. Sometimes you will do everything right for even a reasonable period of time and still will come out wrong, and you have to accept that. And my childhood allowed me to do that, because even leaving the last, my last foster home, which was terrific, you know, I had to leave them and had to go back to my father, which was you know, a question mark, having to adjust to that and accepting it really helped me into my entire life. Some of the things that you were saying, while what you experienced was an extreme situation, I do agree with you that, that sometimes we may mollycoddle our children too much because we're not teaching them resiliency skills. If, if we make life too easy, I think we do a disservice to children. That's not, not real. That's not the way life is. I mean, I spent seven years at Lehman Brothers, and I can give you this document in the book, and I'm, I'm not embarrassed with saying I did a very good job in a very difficult situation. The boss and I didn't get along. I wouldn't back him because he wanted to push out the chairman, and he basically pushed me out. And so now, but but in, there's another example of, of what you learn as a child. Try never to be a victim. It's extremely hard because if you use that energy, instead of using it of being a victim, energy on working on what's next, which is just as hard. In my case, at Lehman Brothers, I, just, I could have fought him, but instead that I looked at what's next, and I found my dream job which was to be the chairman and CEO of a small investment bank and really 
the best part of my life was the next 15 years. I agree with everything you're saying. There were points in my life where I could have been a victim and I could have stayed there. And I just, I, I like to say that Nike has the best slogan ever, just do it, because you just do it. The, you know, there really it, isn't exactly. a, a secret to it. You just do it. But why do I mean, you, you think on, people you like you... thing rather than what's, what's past, because that's gone. I mean, that, that's over. And if you, in many respects, if you fight it, it doesn't do any good. Or if you... You're annoyed at somebody, or you, or you try to take it on somebody. All you're doing is using energy that can be used in a positive vein and going forward and looking. And by the way, looking what's next not easy. And you have to use there's a lot of energy required to find out what's next, what's right for you. Do you think that the experiences you've had that they help you appreciate the good times more? Well, I ask people to, to, to try to establish the principles early in life, and the one principle I have now is my age is gratitude. I am truly grateful for having chance to live the American dream and all the things that have been given to me. Yes, I, I think that's very important. That's another problem you have with people, you know, unfortunately that they've done well. They, the, the children don't have quite the gratitude that I have. I mean, I, I can look back at my life and say I've been very, very lucky and I'm very grateful for everything that's, that's happened to me. You write about four P's and, and you teach these. What are the P's? Well, you see, I contend one of the only constant in your life, and I think maybe you'll agree with this too, is your inner voice. And I think it's very important you develop a language with your inner voice. You just don't jump around all the time. Or like the old Chinese medicine cabinet where you have drawers you put things into. And I have come up with what I consider to be a language. Four Ps, find your passions, find your principles, find your partners, and then find your plans. Finding your passions is the most important thing, and that really starts, you know, with yourself. I, I have there's a, four other words which I use: it self, family, work, and community. Those are the four buckets of life. The four Ps are poured into those four buckets. You find your passion. Find what really turns you on. What really excites you. What makes you get out of bed in the morning. You know, and passion is an overused word. It's a combination of your talents, your interests, your likes, your dislikes, and the context of your life. You know, what period of history do you live in? Because you can have certain kinds of passions have to fit into that context. My move from high school, when they first start forming, you know, math, science, baseball, basketball, and girls, and over a lifetime, those morphed. And I recommend to people as they keep track of their passions and how they change. College, you know, math and science turned into engineering. Uh, baseball and basketball, after my freshman year, turned into intramurals and extracurricular activities. And I found in extracurricular activities, Basically, I found my passion. I started a humor magazine, and I put 30 people together. The president was against it, the provost was against it, the head librarian was against it. But putting people together to accomplish a task, solve a problem, produce a product, became my passion. And inside that passion, I found what I really got excited about was helping people do better than they thought they could, have them exceed their own expectations. So I found my passion. And find, find your principles. And I found my principles early because I went to a Catholic school. And I was taught the golden rule and the first commandments with the golden rule. The nuns were very strict. And that sort of set my path. But all through my life, I've collected principles. So I can, I have them on yellow pads. I hang them on my wall when I find them. And all through life, they can help you. One which really helped me during my business life was I found early on that if you don't care who gets the credit, you can accomplish almost anything. And I think that's, you know, one of the things that I have hanging on my wall now. Uh, and, and then, of course, as I said, my last principle now is gratitude. Then find your partners. Find someone to love. Find someone you can share your life with. Find someone who will support you and who you can support. And, uh, you know, 
I find that in today's world, more than so in my world, collaboration is vital. I find I'm only as good as the people I surround myself with. I spend a lot of time on partners. I have a whole experience that groups of partners, uh, uh, life partners. And then, of course, you know, I found in my life that you look at my book, I had good partners, I succeeded. When I had no partners or bad partners, I failed. Tommy Plans. You know, I, I, I was accosted by one of my one of my talks to a college group and guy said, well, you give me a lot of ideas, too many ideas that tell me one thing to do. And I said, sit down right now and physically write down your plans, where you want to go and how you think you might get there. And while you're doing it, think about your lifetime and think about the trends, think about the cycles, think about the waves that basically you can catch during your life. Try to think of some way of getting your wind at your back. Read some of the really important people's biographies and see that you recognize that most of them had the wind at their back for at least part of their life. I'll use two examples. I took over this small investment bank in 1983, and over a 15-year period, we grew it over 20-fold, from 20 million in revenues to over almost a half a billion. And we bought it and sold it and bought it again and sold it again finally to a, to a Dutch bank, and which really brought closure to my business life. And people gave me a lot of credit for it, and we did a good job. But I had the wind at my back. The market during that period was up 10 times. I'll use another example, which is totally different. A friend of mine who was a, graduated in surgery and, and back, basically focused on back surgery decided the real demand, the real latent demand for back surgery was in Africa. So he went to Ethiopia, went to the uh, Mother Teresa Clinic and opened a, a back surgery ma- uh, capability there. He now, if you look at his brochure, you know, hundreds of smiling faces over a lifetime. He saved their lives by solving curvature of the back. And basically, those are the kinds he had to win this back. There's huge demand for that. There was huge demand for my particular product. But you can find it in today's world. You know, AI and robotics, digitization, nanoscience. There's just so many of these waves. Find one that excites you and get on it. That's my four Ps. Uh, I also think you might have, if you get all the four Ps right, you might end up getting the fifth P, which is purpose. When you were starting to explain about the four Ps, you said something very interesting where you talked about the importance of the inner voice. And I think at the heart of of achieving everything you just described to us, we have to pay attention to the way we speak to ourselves. You know, we talk to ourselves in a way we would never speak to another human being. So what is your inner voice like? Are you a cheerleader for yourself? Oh, that's exactly what I'm saying. These four Ps are piled into my inner voice. And and when I got in trouble many, many times, either my own fault or other people's fault, my voice said to me, you can do it, Ed. And that's the, that's the mantra you want to build in. And, you know, I, I always I try to get young people to have them reach and stretch. Because there's only two results when you do something. One is success. The other is a learning experience. And early failure is a gift. You know, and you'll see it in my book when I failed at age 35. It was an enormous gift for me. It, it put me... It, it, focus me on what I could do and what I couldn't do. But the inner voice is very important. It's got to be supportive. And it has to come, it has to basically say to you all the time, add a boy, give you, give yourself credit. Also, because you're, if you're giving out credit to other people, which you, you should do in your lifetime, somebody's got to give you credit and your inner voice can do that. Ed, you did a good job. Ed, you did okay. But Ed, you can do this. Or Ed, you know, yeah. you're heading in the wrong direction. Let's go back and look at, look at some of the things you said about yourself. You know, you really shouldn't be here at this point in time. And that's really, a, you know, we talk to ourselves, as you said, 
much more than people think. And it's the only constant. You, you have parents at the beginning, they pass out, you know, then you have a spouse and even, you know, that, that lasts a long time, possibly. Sometimes it doesn't. But your inner voice is always there. And if you develop a good relationship with it, you know, it really is helpful. And so I'm, I'm a big proponent of that early on. And people don't recognize it. They really don't. And I also agree with you when you were talking about failure, because I think that's the biggest roadblock we put in place for ourselves. We have this fear of this thing called failure, but I've eliminated the word failure in my life. I just look at everything that doesn't work out the way I want it to as a learning experience. No, no, it is a learning experience. The fact is, when you reach too far, you learn something that you can really use. I'll take my sophomore year, I decided between pure science and engineering. So I, instead of taking the engine, I was an engineering course. I, I took this physicist course instead of the engineering physics course. And I was in a room full of physicists, and I figured, well, I was maybe I'd be a physicist. I found out in six months I didn't want to be a physicist, and I couldn't handle it either. Because not that I wasn't smart enough, I just wasn't willing to put the time and energy in because it, it took more time and energy than I could really expend. It took away from everything else I was doing. I got a D plus in the course. I got out of it back in the. You know, in, in engineering physics, and I did just fine. But I, you find out by reaching, and I, I'm going to say, this I, I tell young people, never waste the summer. And get out on your own and do something. You know, uh, in my sophomore year, I hitchhiked up to the St. Lawrence Seaway and got on a team of blasting people, you know, and it was a great experience as ever. Different. When you're on your own, and then, you know, today it's very hard. You can't recreate my background. Nobody can be an orphan or working foster homes, but you can go out in the summertime and work in a, you know, in a hospital in Kentucky, or you can, you go to, you go to become a bartender in, in, in Bamp Springs, Canada. I mean, I, I, these adventures, and I had a lot of them, are very, very important. Adventures and work experiences, where you, you're just, a, you're just a name. You go, you go up to the St. Lawrence Seaway, and you bang on someone's door and say, I want a job. He says, get out of here. You say, no, I want a job. And you get one. You know, I, I love the title of your book on the road less traveled, because when you look at your life, you're doing things that you probably never imagined you would be doing. I know I'm doing things that I never imagined I would be doing. I was a middle-aged wife and mother who started this brand at a time when most people think, you know, you're starting to slow down. I was ramping up. Anything is possible. It is. It is. Well, that's the, that's the main message in the book. And that's, and I'm giving a graduation speech and Someone said, what's your main message? I said, anything is possible. It really is. A little bit of hard, hard work and the scope of your imagination is your only limitation. I mean, in today's world, it's actually, you have much more freedom now than we've ever had. When looking back historically, you know, the, the amount of scholarship money, the lack of prejudice, you know, the ability in a, in a stroke of a key where you can contact markets all over the world. I think today there's more opportunity than ever before for young people. And that's what I want to get across. But anything is possible. I, I really believe that. And education is the solution. I mean, it's, you have to continue to be educated and continue to take on what's new, what's going on. And I, you know, I, no matter what I do, and it, it, I become a pain in the neck in most of the boards I sit on, I, I founded a golf club up in Nantucket. And I always say, every year we got to do a little something new. You know, maybe it's a terrace, maybe it's changing the, the, the locker room or adding something to the short game. But I think that's what exciting, but it's important. You cannot sit still. And I get, a, I get a kick out of you in your experience. There's no time that's too late to start something new. Look at me. I mean, I, I'm now doing something I never thought I would do. I was never a great writer. And, and, I, I, and, and I spent my entire life under the mantra of being happy is to be hidden. 
when I was on Wall Street, I was a strategist, a pretty well-known strategist. But when I got called by a radio station or a TV station, I would stay out of the public eye completely. I never wanted to be public because I always thought that publicity was the next step before jail. And here I am now <laughs> you know, on radio two or three times a week, television once or twice a week, you know, getting out and trying to get my name known, something I never thought I would do. And, you know, it's I'm doing it. And as you said, it's never too late. And when you travel that road, like you said, there are wonderful surprises there. You, you, you end up doing things that you didn't even know you would like doing. Oh, I'm having but meeting you. I mean, I'm having more fun with this than I ever thought I would have. It's exceeding all my expectations. And I'm doing some good. I got a letter from somebody's mother the other day. And she said her daughter had decided, because of my conversation, decided to go to college. I mean, you know, that pays for everything I've been doing for the last year. I mean, that's just that one experience of one young lady deciding instead of, you know, not going to work, she's going to go to college and, and find her passion. That really, that excites me. And it pays yeah. for all the things I'm trying to do. I don't think there's a greater gift than being able to make a living doing something you love that actually serves some good in the world. That, that's, it, that's hard to find. I mean, it, I, and I didn't find it. I'm, you know, when you're working on Wall Street, that's not the case. You know, you're not doing that much good for the world. You're out there trying to make a living and so forth. And I must say, I pivoted somewhere in my 40s. I, there was a second golden rule in my life besides the doing to others, which was he who has the gold rules. I had to, to gain financial stability. I had to seek out financial resources. But in my 40s, when I'd done a reasonable job of that, I shifted from seeking financial rewards to freedom. And, and I went, instead of going to a prestigious uh, Wall Street firm, I went to a very small, unknown one. But there I had freedom. It was my shop, and I could do what I wanted. I could create what I wanted. And I swapped the, the, the finest dining room in Wall Street and my office overlooking the, the harbor and, and Statue of Liberty for a, a dining room, which was two hot plates and a conference room, and my office overlooked the wall of another building. But I loved it. And as you say, if you love your work, you're really not working. And I was doing good, too, because I was hiring people, giving people a chance to spread their wings. It was really a lot of fun. I had a great time. We hired over 800 people. And over a period of uh, 15 years. The book is On the Road Less Traveled, An Unlikely Journey from the Orphanage to the Boardroom. If you'd like to get more information about Ed and his work, you can visit edhagem.com. Ed, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, well, thank you so much for the conversation and for the very good questions. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in.